really been a whole two episodes since we mentioned the impact of COVID on our teens' education. Well, that was never going to last, was it? In recognition of the fact that those sitting exams this year, that's year 11 and year 13 students, have had two years of interrupted teaching and learning, the exam boards have now released what is called Advanced Information for Exams. In brief, this is a list of the topics that will be the focus of big mark questions. On the face of it, that sounds great. But is this actually going to be useful for our teens in the long run, or perhaps even in the short term? Hello, and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy, and your host. In this, our third season of the podcast, we're chatting with parents, students, and teachers to hear how things are going. Specifically, we're interested in the highs and lows, the trials and the tribulations in the run-up to the exams in 2022. We'll be covering everything from trouble getting going to burning the candle at both ends, from overzealous and anxious students to those who are underperforming yet nonchalant. Through these shared real-world experiences, I hope that you'll take some comfort that you're not alone. And, perhaps more importantly, I hope that you'll take away some insights and advice that will help you to support your own team, so that they'll not just survive the exams, but thrive in the preparation. So, if you're a parent, a carer or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Dawn Cox, which is her second study session's appearance. Dawn is the Head of Religious Studies at an Essex Secondary School. She is also a prolific blogger and tweeter and covers not just RE topics, but teaching and learning in general. She also has a particular interest in effective exam preparation. Dawn, it's absolutely fabulous to have you back on the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me again. Now, the last time you were on the show was December 2020, which was, of course, just before the announcement that last year's exams would be cancelled. That feels like a very long time ago. Yeah. As we know, this year's students have suffered with similar, if not more, disruption in the run-up to exams. One of the measures that the government, Ofqual and the exam boards have put in place is to release what they've called advanced information. And I wonder if we could just start by you explaining a little bit more about what that is. Okay, so it actually does vary between subjects and it varies between exam boards, even within a subject from what I've been hearing. So the, some subjects have already been told that certain units wouldn't be examined, which would usually be examined or contribute to the grade at least. So they already had some of that information. But on Monday, um, it was released from the exam board specifically what would be for each specification and particularly each kind of unit within that. So um, it really does depend on the exam board and your subject as to what was released. So for lots of subjects, it would be topics that might be more of a focus for a revision. In other subjects, it's um, things that I suppose we need to be careful about wording here, but topics that you know won't come up, although they don't want us to use the word kind of won't be tested as such. It just gives a bit more of a focus for the students for their revision. That's the purpose. Hmm. Because as you say, it's it's a really odd one to define, isn't it? Because on one hand, you'd want to say, oh, it's telling you what's going to come up. Or you'd want to be able to say it's telling you what's not going to come up. But actually, in many cases, it falls somewhere between the two. So if you think about biology, which I know is not your subject, but biology with AQA and with, with many of the others will tell you, actually, we are going to test you on this. We're definitely not going to test you on this other stuff. And then there's a whole swathe in the middle that they don't even talk about. 
So is there a danger that actually this isn't as clear cut as as maybe we'd hoped initially? I think that the understanding is that they're giving it to us for revision. It's not supposed to be really what is on the exam or not. You know, otherwise we're kind of playing a guessing game, which some subjects might want to do. But I think the important thing is that we're supposed to be teaching the whole of the specification. And then this is supposed to focus people's revision. And of course, because we're, as we are in February, some people haven't finished the course and they're thinking, well, should I still teach the topics that are not mentioned? Am I going to put my students at an an advantage by just focusing on the topics that have been given? That's down to individual departments, teachers, whether they continue teaching the course. But you can see why people wouldn't do that, because actually it gives them a bit of a focus. Of course, there's also the, the idea that a lot of topics in lots of subjects aren't just standalone and they rely on other information. So if you were to say to the students, oh, only revise these topics, actually, there's plenty of topics that link in that they might not might want to draw in on their answers but aren't on the list and actually they they still need to go through those topics even if they're not on the list because they might be synoptic and they might bring in different ideas together and we risk if we say only look at these disadvantaged students who don't quite have that ability to do that by themselves Hmm. As you said, I think there's, um, there's that problem of whether or not you've been able to cover the whole course already to have that grounding and um, sort of somewhere back in the depths of your memory, you might be able to call it up to, to throw it in. But if you've not actually been regurgitating it and sort of revising and retrieving over um, as long as you can with any revision session, actually you're going to feel a bit disadvantaged going in if that kind of question comes up. Hmm. I think that was always my biggest worry with my daughter and thinking about the exams as she goes into them. If she were to if she were to avoid a topic because it's not been listed, as I understand it, this is for the, the high tariff, the, the big mark questions. But actually, some of those low mark questions that could come early on might be on something she hadn't revised or hadn't sort of focused on. And I could throw into a bit of a head spin and, and sort of a bit of a crisis before the exams really even begun in earnest. I think that varies. I think some exam boards have said it's for high tariff, but others haven't. Okay. And that's where I think people need to check and read what their exam board are saying, and what their specification is saying. So, for example, I've been looking into three religious studies specifications and what's been said by the exam boards. One exam board is saying that it's only for high tariff questions, i.e. it could be asked on low tariff questions. Another exam board have said it will only be on these topics, And another example would have said, here are the topics that are the main focus. However, you can draw upon the other topics to achieve high marks. Now, that's three approaches for one subject. So actually, I've seen people kind of commenting online about how there is doesn't seem to be a common message, even within a subject at the same level, for example, GCSE across the exam boards. And they've approached it differently. And I, I personally think that there is an advantage to one of those approaches compared to the others. Oh, go on then, you have to spill. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, 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 the exam board that says, here's a list of topics and you can achieve high marks by just revising these is the best mm. outcome. The board saying, oh, you might need other topics to achieve high marks is essentially saying you've still got to revise everything. And the exam mm. board saying that it's only on high tariff questions, that doesn't really help many people because, of course, there can be low tariff questions on them. So, yeah, the one that said you can achieve high marks or the highest marks just with this information is the clearest for students, really. 
Hmm. So do you think we get to a point where actually by trying to be seen to do something to help, actually then we might be undermining all of that? Would, would we be better off in some cases actually with exam boards not providing this kind of information? Then? Yeah, it's so difficult, isn't it? And you could think about timing because, again, it depends on individual teachers and schools. Have people really finished the course now? Was mm-hmm. it too early? Is Easter holiday too late to have released it? Because then you could have said that really would have focused people and people have had to have still carried on the course. Yeah, it's a real difficult one, isn't it? I think they have to be seen to be doing something and I'm appreciative of it in my context, but it really does come down to the situation. You know, going back to what you were saying before, it all comes down to what provision students had during lockdowns. And even for this current year 11, you know, what happened in their year nine is important as well. So, yeah, I think it's good for many people, but for others, actually, maybe not. Because it's interesting you talk about whether or not it's too early, because it's calling on the perspective that the the later you announce what's in the exams or what likely to be in the exams, the more time there is to focus on the whole course, sort of unfettered by worrying whether or not you should focus. Of course, the other perspective is that should we have had this information much earlier because the exams have become, rightly or wrongly, and having spoken to you last year, I know your perspective on it is wrongly, <laughs> but the exams are sort of the, the be all and end all of the course for uh, for GCSEs and for A-levels. So should we really have been telling them way back at the beginning of the year what they need to focus on and really trim down the whole syllabus? Yeah, I mean, it's a tough one, isn't it? And again, it comes down to individuals. I think the other contingency measure of them looking at making the outcomes for students kind of not as, sorry, between 2019 and 2021, I think that might help with the students. So they've said that they're going to look at you know, the allocation basically of grades more kind of leniently than 2019. That could be the thing that helps our students. But again, Mm. there's all sorts of problems with that because it all comes down to what provision you had during lockdowns because certain schools were ready to go, all online learning. So actually that's going to benefit you even more because you've had your full course of GCSE and then there's going to be that kind of um, contingency for you. Whereas some students who haven't had that that contingency might not actually balance it out for you. It's important to remember, isn't it, that, of course, this is a a two-year impact for students. It's not just what's happening right now, but actually at at the end of year nine and then going into year 10, a lot of these students were impacted. And that's not inconsequential. It's not that it was two years ago, so it's fine. I mean, the, the courses are knowledge rich, aren't they? All of them, I think. And so actually, there's an awful lot of of the foundation work that they would have missed out on as well, which, as you say, really highlights that disparity that that different pupils would have had. Yeah, uh, I I think most subjects will have a curriculum in Key Stage 3 that is built on at GCSE, and therefore any of those foundations from Year 9 are going to have an impact. Otherwise, kind of, why were we teaching it in Year 9? In my school, we have a three-year GCSE, so my students were GCSE students in Year 9, and they had that, that summer term affected. So, yeah, it comes down to schools and how their curriculum has been designed. But really, I think most subjects will have missed that 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 time with the students, particularly the first lockdown when people weren't necessarily kind of as ready, I guess. Because, hmm. of course, the alternative and you mentioned them before, some courses who already know what's in and out. And those are um epitomised by the English literatures or history, ancient histories, where they'll have said you don't need to do 
Um, you have to do Shakespeare, obviously, in literature, but not um, one of the other three. So people might typically uh, drop out the poetry. But that kind of thing, I presume, is much more difficult across all of the subjects to do, it, which is why they didn't. Yeah, um, this is a big debate amongst teachers, of course, because um, most teachers don't teach all subjects. So they're actually not they haven't actually got the perspective on what it means. So there's been much debate, for example, in the religious studies community about how geography and history have had whole sections of content said that it's not going to be um, contribute towards the exam. And we haven't. And that, yeah, that's been a matter of debate. Most people would probably agree that there's probably more content in those subjects. And that's why it's been reduced. We've already got optionality in some of the GCSE religious studies, so that kind of might counter it. But yeah, it's really difficult because I think the decisions have been made based on the subject and also then the exam board specification. And how can we ever say that it's all all ever going to all be equal? I guess you can say if a student is sitting that exam for that exam board for that subject, they are then, they've got the same opportunity as all the other candidates within that. But comparing subjects with subjects, I just don't really think it works, particularly because we, we are different. Yeah, it's, it's it's probably not fruitful to go down that because otherwise there's always going to be a subject. I mean, I saw people talking on Monday saying how other subjects, I won't name them, you know, oh, nothing's changed, nothing's changed. And I'm thinking, mm, but it has changed. It's just not quite how you thought it would change. And actually, you've had this content removed whereas we haven't had anything removed as such it's all perspectives I think and and I think teachers have kind of I don't know what people thought was going to happen but I think some people probably thought more was going to happen than actually was and and I do think it's tricky and I think it's tricky for teachers definitely I think it's tricky for the exam boards as well that actually it's the exams are important we know that and we've seen their importance because we've given exam results even when exams haven't taken place but actually in the subject like religious studies and I was looking through some of the um, accommodations and advanced information actually how do you teach Islam without some of the elements of it I mean you you just can't really help a student to understand or enjoy the subject if you're only taking sections out so that they don't have to worry about sitting them in the exam. There's There was so much more to the subject when they decided they would sit it beyond what it was that they would get in a grade after an hour and a half in a sitting paper one, for example. Yeah, I think this all obviously comes down to curriculum design in the first place and how schools and teachers have organised their curriculum. But you'd hope, and this is what the government obviously didn't want to happen, you'd hope that people would kind of be able to teach the specification and give students that rich in-depth understanding rather than narrowing it with this information but it's a natural instinct isn't it to use the time that you've got focusing on the things that you've got I've heard particularly for example at A level they've taken a quite big chunk out of religious studies so I hear I don't teach it and I've seen people saying well should we bother teaching that unit should we bother yeah and you can see why and it is, it's a difficult choice, isn't it? Because, as I say, you've got, you've got this balance of how you feel about the subject, whether or not the, the students are getting a rounded education ready to go on. But at the end of the day, they're going to have a piece of paper that for A-level will tell them that they've got an A or B or a C. Mm. And then did you do your best to help them get that mark? Uh, I think it's a, a, real, a real dilemma and certainly one that I'm happy I don't have to take. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, it's all—it's always kind of, well, what, what, have we, what have we got to think about? Like, I don't have a sick form, for example. So you could say, well, I just need to worry about the GCSE. I don't need mm. to worry about what they're going to do at A-level. Whereas if you're a school that's got A-level, 
you might want to knowingly carry on the course very much so because you want them to know this for their A-level and foundations. Sure. And, you know, and then for A-level, should we carry on teaching it? Because if they're going on to do a degree, they might need that topic and they'll have never have covered it. Do we put them at a disadvantage? So, yeah, it's always easy to think about our own context, but actually what the student's going on to do um, is important as well. Yeah. And even though that's not straightforward and and clear cut, it's obviously exacerbated by the fact that this year's A-level students didn't take GCSE. So the Mm -hmm. first year that wouldn't have had any public Mm -hmm. exam. So they've they've had that that hit, that impact to start with. And of course, now they're they're having to go in that with all those stresses and uncertainties. It's really not an enviable position to be in at all. No, it's all about it's experience as well, isn't it? I mean, the exam experience is so important for, you know, they are going to, if they stay in education, have to sit exams. And as you say, that experience, I think, even lower down with mocks is really important. You know, sitting in a hall, using time wisely, only having limited time, having your peers around you is that whole experience that they've, they've not had. Yeah, it's going to be a challenge for them, I think. Hmm. And you mentioned a, a moment ago about the grading this year, which of course is going to be adjusted because in, in a normal year, which obviously is not, not of the last three, <laughs> uh, pre-2019, the exam boundaries were set based on how that cohort had performed. Exam boards would then allocate the boundaries so that a certain number, almost fixed number, would get nines and eights and, and sevens. And of course, with the previous two years with centre assessed grading and then last year teacher assessed grading, that arbitrary delineation between how, how many just didn't exist because teachers were clearly just doing it based on their own understanding of mm. descriptors and how their pupils had done. So this year, there's a much more deliberate attempt to recognise that. Mm. I really hate saying grade inflation because I don't think it was grade inflation, but to uh, uh, in recognition of the greater numbers of people that achieve the top grades, but not as harsh as going back to, to 2019. Mm. Do you think that's understood by pupils enough to, to sort of know what that's about? Or do you think that many of them can feel quite hard done by? I don't know. In my experience, we've not really kind of talked about that. I, I, I'm not sure that's a conversation they really need to know. For me, the students, it's about kind of the, the learning we're going to just do our best. We're going to learn everything. We're going to do what we can so that you can do your best. And then we sort of need to leave it to, you know, the decisions for the exam board, the grade boundaries. I always teach like that. I'm, I'm probably not very normal in that I don't use grade boundaries with students. And, you know, this is what teachers do. So they're saying, well, which boundaries should we use, et cetera, et cetera. Well, I don't. So I don't need to worry about that. So I'm not necessarily representative, shall we say, of, of teachers. I, I probably just wouldn't talk to them about it. I just think they just need to do the best and we need to do the best for them. And then, you know, it is what it is when it comes out in, in August. Fabulously not normal. <laughs> <laughs> not sure everyone would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Only the people worth talking to would agree to, Dawn, obviously. <laughs> so one of the other things, and um, we talked about this in the in the episode that we did um, last year, is the view on revision. And I want to bring that back because, as you mentioned before, one of the key aspects or intentions behind the advanced information was the ability to focus pupils revision on certain subjects and again I'm I'm keen to see your thoughts on on that whole idea that revision is this activity that happens in the run-up to the exams and at what point 
at what point do we stop learning and start revising? I think it comes down to the definition of revision and learning, doesn't it? Just having some chats with people on Twitter about this. You know, I think in the past, revision has been seen actually as reteaching because you didn't learn it. And that's that's different from actually just going through what you've already learned. And I think that actually we should be revising, going through what we've already learned and we understand as we go along. And if we didn't understand it in the first place, we should deal with misconceptions then, not leave it to the end of the course where suddenly go, oh, you didn't learn that. There might be slight exceptions. And of course, this year probably is exceptional in that there might be topics where they were lockdown topics and genuinely the students didn't learn them and therefore we need to teach them. But that's not revision. That's learning a topic that you didn't learn. So it all comes down to language. And I I strongly think that revision should be done as you're going along. You're building these blocks of their knowledge and their understanding as you're going through the course. And this gives them the power to be able to think kind of much more widely in their work. I had an example with the year 10 last week who I asked them to do a question on a particular topic and she started saying, oh, I'm going to draw in this. I'm going to bring in this. Can I use this? And I just thought this is absolutely brilliant. This is what I wanted, her bringing in stuff from year nine and the rest of year 10 into her answer. And I think that's a much more fruitful way of doing revision along the way. She's bringing what we've learned in rather than waiting to the end just to go through basically reteach topics or play some games on some ideas. I'd much rather kind of spend that time in lessons and throughout the curriculum time over the GCSE embedding and ensuring that they understand and stretching them, being able to make links than to leave it to the end. But I know that's not what everyone does. I'm already seeing people saying, have you got revision ideas? I've got a term to revise. (laughs) Well, wow. (laughs) What are you going to do for a term with some year 11? I, I, I strongly believe that this sort of thing impacts their mental health. If you just carry on what you've been doing for the past two years and you carry on teaching, leaving a few weeks before the exams for some, you know, some refinements. Okay, guys, let's just make sure we're clear what's happening in the exam. That's fine. If you suddenly all in the last term say, right, we're all revising now, all exams, exams, exams. There's no wonder students get stressed by it because the language we're using. Mm. You know, I'm not going to kind of talk about exams as such any more or less than I have done for the past two years until a couple of weeks before hey guys we've got two weeks you're going to be sitting in your exam hall then I don't think there's any need to do it I think if we're playing the long game I think that um, it's really important for the students that we 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 do that for them we put in that revision as we go along Hmm. they seem much happier with it they say to me that they don't feel stressed about going into our exam because we've done this for them you say it's um it comes down to language and, and i can see that but if you can't if you can't use semantics when it comes to education <laughs> when when can you use it and i think that 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 distinction between actually you're learning it for the first time and then using periods to revisit the learning and address any gaps or um, where anything's gone wrong seems to be, to make much more sense to me than to try to have a, a two-year course that you run through and then revisit the whole lot in a fortnight or a month before you get there. And as you say, certainly over the last couple of years, with the amount of disruption that, that we widely talk about, and, and we talk about it as if it's if it's gospel, if it's fact, <laughs> no pun intended talking to an RS teacher, that actually how do you manage to have a term where you haven't got anything to teach if you've not really had four or five terms where you could teach as effectively as you might 
in any case. Mm. I guess I, I, I don't know how these teachers have managed to have a term free, to be honest. They mm. must have been very organised and had great provision during at least the last lockdown for their students and that they all engaged with it. That's the other thing. Even if you did have a term left, I think you probably have a wide variety in your class of students that fully engaged and some that did, did nothing at all. But certainly my students, that's the case. How would you design that then? That could get really complicated, I guess. Well, I guess you could get them doing private revision in your lesson where they all focused on the individual topics. That might work with some individual help, but that would kind of become certainly more kind of like revision lessons where they work independently, which I don't think there's anything wrong with. But Mm. if they're being told to do that at home as well and they're being told to do that in every lesson, I think that's probably quite a lot to expect them to be able to do. Yeah. You say going back to the the use of words and and definitions, certainly something we hear a lot of parents talking about is that their children are saying, well, I don't have to do revise. I don't have to start revising yet because the school's revision sessions don't start until Easter. And so there's this whole idea that actually revision is over there. It's it's an organised activity that will be done rather than something that that students should be drip feeding little and often or um, or however else they might be able to get on with it. Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> so what kind of advice would you give to parents who are in that kind of position where their, their children are kicking their revision off into the long grass? Yeah, it's a difficult one. I guess getting them to use strategies that might help them kind of low stakes. So, you know, I hate the idea of students thinking that they have to sit for three hours after school with all books out at a desk and have to, you know, be studying hard it's it's that's not what it needs to be you know flashcards is such an easy one they could be using them on the bus whilst they're waiting for their mate to get on at the stop you know using apps to test them you know it doesn't have to be this kind of big onerous thing so that's that's one thing certainly for parents they might think that it has to be this kind of all books out you know all the stationery out all kind of like singing dancing but actually it could be something fairly simple and for parents it could be just testing them using those revision cards it doesn't have to be a big kind of setting up every day of of revision I'd hope that most teachers would kind of be building this in from from earlier but obviously maybe they're not but yeah just getting the students to use kind of simple strategies of kind of testing themselves practice questions as much as possible but just short bites because actually otherwise any student that's not motivated to to do any work certainly not going to be motivated by a three-hour stint in front of books little and often you know small rewards along the way should should probably help them be able to kind of chunk it up but it needs to be modeled for them that really is the role of um, teachers but if that's not happening with teachers then parents could maybe try and model it for, for them using some of the strategies, which I'm sure you've, you've probably talked about before, to help their children just to do something small, chunk along the way. I definitely think that, and the way you said that, that actually if you can encourage the children to think of it not as being this formal, onerous, boring session where I need to go and work for three hours straight or learn something new or make notes, that actually they might be much more inclined to just do something that's that is as you say much much smaller it might feel lower involvement but presumably it's it's the kind of thing that's going to have a lasting benefit if they're running through flashcards of something that they did at the beginning of year 10 or or so yeah absolutely and there's loads of websites out there for different subjects that can just give those little snapshots those little bits that they can do that can be meaningful 
they don't need to have even kind of all their textbooks or their books with them. As long as they know the specification, the exam board and the specification that they're doing, so they don't learn things that they don't need to know, that's a big problem. Um, you know, people going on to certain apps and saying, Miss, I've revised this and say, well, that's not actually our topic. You know, that they need to be really clear from their teachers, from their school, what uh, exam board specification and code that they're doing and the content and then access things online or make their own resources. Yeah, actually, a lot of people are surprised by that, that actually even with an exam board, that if you think you're doing, well, you know you're doing geography and you say, I'm doing edXL geography and buy something for A, actually there's two geographies in edXL and geography B is wildly different. Yeah, to, um, absolutely. To a, and so it, yeah, do get, they do get unstuck. Yes, it's a problem. And, and I've, I've seen well-meaning parents go out and buy loads of revision guides. And of course, they've not checked and therefore they're the wrong, even the wrong specification, the wrong exam board. Mm. You don't want students having to try to learn things that, that they don't need to learn. But also they might miss out really important things if, if one board has something that they need and they don't include it. They need to um, make sure, hopefully most teachers, again, would give them a copy of, like we give our students a copy of the specification. Uh, there's spare copies in the classroom in the tray called specification. <laughs> so they can just go and get one. And it's literally just the checklist that they can use. And we refer to it all the time and cross it off so they can see where they're going. So they know this is it. This is your GCSE. It's all here. This is what you need. So, yeah, again, some schools, you might need to ask the teachers just to say, can you just give me the code or exams officer um, should be able to do that because obviously they do the entries. And certainly we found that actually a lot of schools, um, the overwhelming majority of schools, actually, to be honest, have got have got great information on the websites. And te- yes. typically the year nine options booklets will actually contain the exam codes. Yeah, that's good. Those that are seeking. Or, as you say, head of head of year 11s or exam officers are great port to, to get them. It's, it's such an easy thing to do. But then there are, as I know, over 440 different GCSEs and IGCSEs that you could take in the country. So it's easy to get, mm. easy to get confused. Yeah. So finally then thinking about that, that focus of revision, make sure you're revising the topics that you need to, so you're not, not getting the wrong revision materials for the wrong exam board. How far would you say that should also translate to the advanced information that we've got? What kind of balance would you encourage ideally a student who's who's coming up to GCSE and, and knows there are certain things that that may or may not be a major focus mm. so obviously if you're the example that says you don't need to know anything else other than this to be able to get four marks then your decision might be to only revise those topics of course if it's high tariff questions or like my board that says you know actually you will need information from the rest to inform your answers one thing you could do is look at the information, take a topic that's been given that's part of the advanced information and just brainstorm all the different component components that lead to that answer, that topic. And obviously that might then be linked to other content that's not on the list. And it just gives them an idea of the sorts of things that might be kind of more useful to focus on so that even on the high tariff questions, they're accessing that kind of information that will help them get the full marks along the way so yeah going through those topics and kind of identifying what contributes to them what what you know components they might need might be really useful I guess it again it depends on the exam how much the um, high tariff questions are 
I think it should be about 50%. I think the boards were agreed that it would be 50% of the information they'd let them know. Well, then maybe you should think about your timing with that as well then. So 50% of your time on those only those topics and then the rest of the time on all the rest might be useful. It depends on how your exam is kind of set out. Also, how those questions are worded and how easily you can kind of generate some ideas of what could be the questions I guess no one wants to sit there predicting oh your question will be this and this because that's really quite dangerous but if you've got that advanced information model answers on those high tariff questions if the exam board has gone with the high tariff option might be useful either for teachers to write and share with students or for students to practice so if you know the command words for your high tariff questions and how they work you could then um, design some of them, write some of them, and then practice what ideas you need to be able to answer that and then have a go at answering it. I think the high tariff questions lend themselves to having model answers. But of course, what the government don't want, and they've said this, is people rote learning, memorising perfect answers, because that you know that's not ideal. That's not kind of true learning. And no one really wants that. But um, practising those high tariff questions with that information should help. Hmm. So it sounds like there might be a little bit of work to do to understand exactly what the advanced information is is offering dependent on the exam board and the subject. But actually, on the face of it, they, they could be uh, quite a, a useful tool, if, if nothing else, than to help prioritise those students who who might be struggling to um, to fit everything in for one reason or another. Absolutely. If there's students with gaps in knowledge of them, either through lockdown, attendance or anything, that's definitely a focus. And if you did have time for revision, you'd definitely spend more time on them, I would say. I, for one, found that really, really useful. And even working amongst all of the exam boards as we do um, with the study buddy, it can be really confusing about what's happening. And that's why it's always best to get a teacher's perspective on what it actually means in practice. The advanced information is there to help. I mean, that's its entire purpose. It's all about alleviating some of that pressure that students might feel given the last couple of years that they've had. However, it's really, really important that they're taken in the right context and not mistreated. They do not, for example, necessarily tell you everything that there is to know for the exams. They might only allude to the main focus. Some might be explicit about what's not going to be in the exams, while in actual fact most won't cover what's going to come up as low-mark topics. There is a risk, if mismanaged, that this could distort the revision efforts of our teens and they could come unstuck. It's absolutely crucial that if you're in any doubt at all, you should definitely talk to your children's subject teachers about what is and what isn't happening. For me, one of the big downsides is that this reinforces the idea that revision is a set activity in the run-up to an exam. Dawn talked about the way that we, and the education sector, talk about revising and the impact that that has. Often, we use terms like revising interchangeably with things like relearning, or we use it as a way of highlighting gaps. These are obviously really important, but perhaps distinct from the kinds of activities that our children should be doing at home to give them the best chance of success in their exams. 
A fair amount of the reluctance that our children will have to do revision at home, I think comes from the perception that this is a big activity and it's something that happens at school. And we hear that a lot. And actually you may have heard that from your own children. And it's often made worse, I think, by imagining that revision is all about pouring back through books and learning stuff in an in a onerous and hardworking kind of way. But as we heard from Dawn, and also from a number of great guests that we've had in the past, Revision tends to work best when it's low stakes and it's retrieval based. It's not the only approach, of course, but if your teen is one who's looking at kicking a bit of independent study into the long grass, perhaps they're insisting that they've got ages before they even need to start thinking about revision, then this can be a really great place to start. And once they've made a start, who knows where they'll end up. My thanks to Dawn for finding the time to talk to me and for you to listening. If you would like to be on a future episode and share how things are going, or perhaps there's just something that's playing on your mind, please do drop me an email. The address is hello at thestudybuddy.com. And if you're looking for ways that you can support your own young person to fulfil their potential in their revision, then why not head over to the Study Buddy website? There you'll find a whole host of information about our innovative time management and study organising approach. And you'll also find a blog packed full of useful articles, hints and tips. To find out more, why not make a beeline for thestudybuddy.com. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and found it as useful as I did. If you did, I wonder if you'd mind leaving us a review, and if it's not too cheeky to ask, a five-star rating. It all does really help us to reach other parents who, just like the rest of us, are looking to make some sense of it all in the run-up to exams. Of course, don't forget to share the link to this and other episodes on your social media weapon of choice. It's all greatly appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to follow and subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.